0: So, welcome back to the Belong series. We are talking about the church, which is that place where we belong, where Jesus has made it possible for us to be part of the household of God. And really, that's what it is. We are brothers and sisters. God is our Father. And so, we started the first week in Acts chapter 2, looking at kind of the launch party of Christ's church where these regular folks, sinners like us, came together and heard this message about the death, burial, and resurrection preached by Peter. And thousands of them responded. They put their faith in Jesus. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. And they became The Jerusalem Church of Christ, I guess you could say. All of a sudden, these folks from all over the world, many of them uh, coming uh, from great distances to be there on Pentecost, they were together, worshiping together, praying together, breaking bread together, enjoying a new fellowship with God as the redeemed and a new fellowship with each other. And yeah, part of that in Acts 2 And then we went to Colossians 3, the second week, was this regular activity of the church was to worship together. Uh, We saw them going to the temple courts day after day, worshiping the Lord together, uh, praying for each other. And then last week, as Scott mentioned, we talked about spiritual gifts, ministries that God equips each son and daughter in his family uh, to serve the body of Christ. And to represent him in the world. You, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, verse 11, you have a spiritual gift or gifts. And those have been given you to minister in the name of Jesus to those around you. And today we are going to key in on the idea of the church as a holy community. As an outpost of the gospel in a fallen world. And our text this morning also comes from 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Actually, we're going to have a few texts this morning. But I want you to notice as we read this together, I want you to notice that these are communal words. These are group words, who we are now. This is not an individual thing. This is a group project. So listen to these inspired words. Peter writes, you are a race, a chosen race. You are a priesthood, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I really, that phrase that struck me most, there's a lot of powerful phrases in there about our identity together. But that phrase, a holy nation... I like that. Holy, I'm sure you've heard me talk about this before, you've been around here. Holy is to be set apart, it's to be made special. So we are a nation set apart by God. Move from darkness into light. You know, the church, and, and there's, you know, Jesus, uh, we are his ambassadors. Paul talks about that ambassadors of Christ, ambassadors of Christ. And so the church is like an embassy of heaven, an embassy of this this other nation here on earth. And we are representatives as, as God's people of this better nation. That's our identity. That's our permanent residence, right? It's been a while. It's been like 30 years or something since I was on this debate trip In college, we were traveling to northeast Missouri to Kirksville. It was about eight and a half hours from Oklahoma City. And I remember nothing about that trip except the drive there. It was nighttime. I think we were still two, three hours outside of Kirksville. And we stopped to get gas, got some snacks, went to the bathroom. Then, I think there's five of us, loaded back in the school car, got back on the road. I was driving, and I remember maybe 15 minutes after we got back on the road, the car started acting funny, especially going up a hill. It was kind of coughing and wheezing, if you will. You'd step on the gas, and it it felt like you were driving a go-kart motor at that point. It was like it could hardly climb the hills. I was like, something is really wrong. And I'm thinking, this is bad, you know. The school car broken down in the middle of northern Missouri. What are we going to do? We turned around, went back to that same gas station, And thankfully, they had a garage and they had a mechanic who was able to look at the car. And so he took a little time looking things over. And he said, somebody put diesel fuel in this car. It's unleaded, right? Somebody put diesel fuel. At that point, I cast a slow accusatory glance at Jeff who had been gassing the car up at the last stop. And he said, well, it was dark. I couldn't see very well. And that was the cheaper of the two fuels. Diesel, <laughs> diesel used to be cheaper. It's not anymore. I was like, oh, boy. But thankfully, an hour or two later, he was able to clean up the engine. We filled it up with the right fuel. And we got back on the way. I was so grateful that it wasn't any worse than that. You know, running that car on the wrong fuel obviously caused a loss of power. Couldn't get over 30 miles an hour. Kind of started and stopped. And it was kind of dangerous being on the interstate like that. Um, And it just wasn't going to go much further. We were never going to reach our destination trying to get there on the wrong fuel. And you see where I'm going. We're talking about the Christian life. Um, We find out When we come to Jesus, this is the bad news that makes the good news so good. We find out that trying to live as we were without Jesus, fueled on our own self-interest, and constantly veering into sin, we find out that doesn't work very well. And it's certainly not going to get us home. It's not going to get us where the Father wants to take us. And so that is the gospel, this washing, not of an engine, but this washing of our souls with the blood of Christ. We are made clean. We are, we are forgiven. And then the new fuel, the Spirit of God comes into our lives and empowers us to live new lives. And as we've been talking about the last few weeks, to be a new people, to be a new community and so we are now a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people. Don't you like that phrase, John Scott? A people for his own possession. Think of God just holding us tight. Love that. Now, Christians don't often think of themselves as priests. I mean, we know that's true. The Bible says that, but what, what is that like to be a priest? Uh, but it's there. And it's actually a fulfillment of a prophecy from all the way back in the book of Exodus. Where at the time there was a very small elite, if you will, group of priests. And there was a prophecy given in Exodus 19 that one day God's people would be a kingdom of priests. Everybody a priest. Your sister sitting by you today, your brother across the room today, a priest. We are a kingdom of priests. Now, back in the day, a priest was, well, they came from Jacob's son, Levi, right? There were the Levites, and a subgroup of the Levites, the descendants of Aaron, these were the priests, And if someone other than a priest tried to cross through the veil, right, they would die in the tabernacle. And now we, because of Jesus, because we have been washed clean, his spirit lives in us. We are this royal priesthood. The world needs us to bring them to the gospel, to bring them to God, to serve this priestly role. Because our sins have been taken away. And God himself, his spirit, has come to live in us. And through the gospel, we see that the adulterated fuels, not diesel fuel, but the fuels of sin and selfishness, they have been washed away. And now we've got the high test of the gospel, the high test fuel of God's grace and his spirit in us. Well, it's not because we figured everything out. You know this. That wouldn't be good news. It wouldn't be good news that we performed our way into God's good graces. It wouldn't be good news that we had done enough work. The good news is it's a gift, literally a grace from God that we have been made right. And so now we are called to live differently, to be set apart, to be holy as he is holy. And to help each other, encourage each other to live these set apart lives Sure, none of us is perfect. We get that. (laughs) But that's not an excuse. That's not a justification to go back to filling up with the same old garbage we used to fill our lives up with. We were made to be powered by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Example. And this is a harsh example, but it's from the Bible. There was a church in Corinth, Greek city of Corinth. And these are redeemed people. These are people who put their faith in Jesus. But they, some of them, had had very much drifted, I think you could say, from that identity of being a set-apart people. Uh, they had turned back to their sin. And they had started, instead of being an embassy, an outpost of heaven on earth, they had started behaving just like everybody else in Corinth. And Corinth was... Well, kind of the Las Vegas of the ancient world. It wasn't a city with a good reputation for sterling morals and high ethics. And so it was as if the way they were living was as if the gospel had had no real effect in their lives. They didn't look any different from anybody else. And so Paul confronted in his letters to the Corinthians a number of sins. I mean real eyebrow raising wow kinds of sins. For example, 1 Corinthians 6, there were church members who were hooking up with prostitutes. Okay, it's in there. Paul addresses it. That's the kind of thing, if you're an apostle writing a letter to a church that's going on, you're going to address that in your letter. That was going on. And so, as you imagine, as you might imagine, Paul had really strong words for them. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You can't just go about business as usual, you know, and think everything's okay. He reminded them that they were, in fact, members of the body of Christ. Think about that. Christians are extensions of Jesus. Remember, hands and feet. Arms and legs, extensions of Jesus in the world. So he says in verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never, never, I don't have the right. It's kind of a, how dare you? I don't have the right to take Jesus. Now I'm part of Jesus and combine Jesus with a prostitute. I don't get to do that to the Lord. And he says, that's what you're doing. More than that, in verse 15, so you're a member of his body. You're an extension of Jesus. More than that, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in you, verse 19. And think about that, temple of the Holy Spirit. In the context, it's really kind of interesting what Paul is pointing out. Because in the city of Corinth, there were a number of temples. And in some of those temples, you would go and you could pay money to sleep with a priestess of this or that pagan god. And Paul wants them to see what they're doing. How they are as temples of the Holy Spirit, they are defiling and defaning the spirit of the Lord with the ways that they are conducting themselves. And since we are the body of Christ, when we behave immorally, when we lie, when we cheat and steal or sleep around, We make Jesus look bad. We are ambassadors of Jesus. A lot of people are not going to read their Bible. They're not doing the daily Bible reading plan, you know, around the city of Dallas. Most people aren't doing that. They are reading you, you represent Jesus to them. And so when we just live like everybody else, not like a holy people, we represent Jesus badly. So as a believer, since I'm an extension of Jesus and a temple of his Holy Spirit, I am called to holiness. I'm called to live this set-apart life. So we've been saved by grace. We've been woven together as a holy people. At the same time, and I really probably don't need to remind you of this, it's challenging we are still tempted. I mean, not all of us in the exact same ways, but all of us are tempted in different ways. We are, the, the devil is trying to pull us off sides, pull us back to who we used to be, get us to fill up with the wrong sorts of things once again. And these currents, so they're pulling us away from 1 Peter 2, 9, from being a royal priesthood, away from being a holy nation. I struggle. You struggle; it's part of it. But we resist as God's people. We don't accommodate ourselves. We don't decide, "Oh, that's just who I am." We resist. We struggle, fueled by the Spirit. D. A. Carson, and and as I, this is a good quote, I think. But the temptation is is in this quote to think about someone else, or that or that group, or those people. I think this is a really good quote for me to think about myself, to kind of hold this as a mirror. He talks about our drifting. He says, people do not drift toward holiness. That's not our natural inclination. People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, faith. And delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience, we call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. Wow. Again, I want to think about myself. I want to go, okay, how do I do that? How's that at work in my life? Because I think what he says is true. I think it takes work. I think it takes effort. I think it takes agreeing with the Holy Spirit in me and working together with the Spirit and with the body of Christ to not drift. So back to Corinth. (laughs) Some people sleeping with prostitutes in Corinth. A lot of other stuff going on. Just in in the words that Paul writes to this church, uh, there were divisions in the church. There was... One member suing another member in a public court. There was incest going on in the church. And then people who knew about the incest but did nothing about it just tolerated it. Uh, there, oh boy, Lord's Supper was like a mess. I mean, where do you even start with that? It was just the rich folks were getting together early to have the good stuff. And then the poor people could come in and they could have, you know, a cheap version of the Lord's Supper. It was just a mess. It was a mess. There were people practicing idolatry. Yeah. But it's interesting. Because you might think, well, Paul, with with all of that that you just said, Gordon, in this one church, in this one city, Paul probably is just going to say, you know, you're fired. See you later. You don't belong. But no, he reminds them of who they really are. And there's so much hope in what Paul writes. God had not given up on them. Their sinful decisions were not final. They were not locked in to these bad choices they were making. They could repent. God wanted them to turn back, to come to him and move back into that life. On their way to heaven together. And that's what he was urging them to do in chapter 6. He writes in verses 19 and 20. You are not your own. To these people struggling with all of these sins, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So get back to being who you really are, he says. And then rewinding back to the first chapter of that letter, listen to what he says to this group, this messed up church. He tells them in chapter 1, verse 2 I am writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be His own holy people. He made you holy. By means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Wow. I love the hope in that. The gospel is so strong. (laughs) Now the tricky part, I'll just contrast last week with this week. Last week... We're talking about acts of service, right? We're talking about ministry. Uh, much, more, much more positive, right? Much easier to do. I mean, we published this, this beautiful trifold brochure that we mailed out to everybody about all of the incredible stuff we're doing as a church. So much easier to say, we're doing that, we're doing that. This is much trickier. Because there's so much shame tied up in sin We definitely don't make a trifold brochure and mail it out. Hey, here's what I'm struggling with right now. We don't do that. And so it's more hidden. And I think we're doing pretty well serving and ministering. I really do. I'm not sure how we're doing at this. I'm just being honest with you. I don't know. There's so much that gets swept under the rug or hidden, it's hard to know. But based on the importance we see in God's word to you and me, to us living privately and publicly in ways that reflect the glory of our God and the way of Jesus, this is something we have to take very seriously. Okay? Um, One takeaway I get, and this to me is so encouraging from 1 Corinthians, uh, is the takeaway from Paul that holiness is a group project. (laughs) You're not alone. And I think the devil, he's always into isolating, to kind of picking people off, making them feel alone. No one could possibly understand the sin that I'm struggling with, you know, all of that. Because he knows we're weak when we're alone. When we stop being this community, this holy people, trying to be a holy person is really, really hard. Being part of the holy people, that's our. That's our calling in Christ. We need to be together. It's a group project. We are supposed to be open and honest about our sins and struggles. The church has to be a safe place for that. And we encourage each other when we stumble. I mean, First Peter you know, 2, 9, we are this priesthood, this nation. We are in this together. We are an outpost of heaven here in Dallas. And I thought this week as I was working through this, my mind was kind of jumping around. I went back to Cain and Abel, you know, the, the first siblings. And Cain murders Abel, and God is looking for, God knows, God knows what happened, right? But God is looking for Abel. Hey, Cain, do you know where Abel is? And you remember the line. Cain is like, am I my brother's keeper like, am I really responsible to keep up with that guy? The answer is yes, you are. <laughs> you are. We're in this together. It is my job to keep watch over you and you to keep watch over me. Um, I was never a big fan of group projects in school, but this is a group project I can really get behind. <laughs> We're doing this with the Holy Spirit with our Lord Jesus, with our amazing Father, and with our brothers and sisters. This is a beautiful group project. And so we help each other follow. We help each other grow in Christ. We help each other avoid sin or recover from sin or sometimes confront sin. James five sixteen. such practical words. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, And pray for one another. Why would I do that? So that you may be healed. That's why. So we confess we're accountable. We're honest with each other. Instead of hiding, playing the games that we are so tempted to play. We pray on behalf of each other. And James says, that's where healing happens. That's where we get back on the road together, headed toward our destination. Um, Watch what he says next. This is so neat. James, at the end of that chapter, he says, 19 and 20, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, totally abandon them. No, that's not what he says. He said, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death, will cover a multitude of sins. And I pray that we will grow in that. Um, That we will more and more be a place where it is safe to be open and honest. A place where healing takes place, not a mausoleum for saints. Uh, this is a hospital for sinners. That's what the church is. Um, it's a two-way street. I have to be open enough, humble enough to share my struggles, and I have to be safe. I have to be a safe person that somebody can talk to, can confess to, can be prayed over, and know that that I'm not going to be broadcasting all of their struggles to the world outside. So the church is this place of mutual confession. It's this place where people are prayed for. Um, So we must be humble enough to confess. (laughs) And we have to be healthy enough to hear confession, right? It would have been, you know, with my friend Jeff, If he had reached for that diesel, let's imagine that I was standing there and actually watching this happen as he reaches for that diesel fuel nozzle, would it have been like judgy for me to stop him? Would that have been kind of an overreach, intrusive for me to say, hey, Jeff, wait a second. That's the wrong gas. Would that have been kind of mean and overbearing for me to do that? Of course it wouldn't have been. Um, The absolute thing in that case that I could, the worst thing I could have done would have just been to silently watch him pour the wrong gas into the gas tank of our car. If I could have stopped him, I would have been doing him a favor. I would have been doing myself a favor. I would have been doing all of us a favor on that trip. We're on this journey together, church. And so I need you to call me out when I sin. I need for you to pray with me about that because there's healing there, right? There's healing there. And if you bring me back, when I drift away from my true identity as part of God's chosen people, his holy nation, if you bring me back, then you are covering a multitude of sins. And you are bringing me back from death to life. James 5.20. So let me just finish with this. If you're looking for a family, if you're looking for a place to belong, a church home where you can be loved and accepted and helped and encouraged, sometimes confronted maybe, we all need all of that sometimes then we would invite you to join us on our journey here at Preston Crest to be part of this family. March the 6th, we'll have our PC 101 Coffee and Conversations. Hope you can join us for that. Maybe you need prayers today for God's healing in your life. Maybe there's something you need to talk about with one of our leaders here at Preston Crest. You can do that as we respond in a moment, or you can find one of our ministers or elders or deacons or just a mature brother or sister in Christ and talk about that today and get prayed over. By the way, I heard this mentioned the other day, John Scott, and I'll mention it here because it was really good. When someone comes to you and, hey, I got this going on in my life, the situation with my brother-in-law or my mother in another state is in terminal phase of this or that or what. When someone comes and says they need prayers, don't just say, I'll pray for you. Pray for them right then, right then. You can pray for them Monday as well, but just put your arm around them and pray for them right then. We want to be that community, but we can do that now. Uh, Come down front. We can pray for you or find someone later. The other thing I would say is if you need to be baptized, if you need to be forgiven, and everybody does, and find your home as part of God's family and receive his Holy Spirit in your life, you can do that this morning. Let's stand and let's worship together, church.